Hi, I'm Lance. And I'm Mel. In the spring of 2012, we were walking around downtown Indianapolis. We were looking for someplace local for dinner. We threw out a restaurant name and Mel asked, Is it local? That simple question became a much bigger conversation and our company, Indiana Originals, was born. Every Indiana Originals member is certified local. That means the business is an Indiana-owned and operated company, headquartered here, and not part of an out-of-state chain. When you discover and support a business on our website or on our app, you are keeping more money in Indiana, helping our communities be unique, and creating jobs. If you spent 5% more on goods and services from Indiana, we would have $1.8 billion more billion for our schools and infrastructure. So when you break it down, that's just $35 per household per week. When you see the Indiana Originals badge, you know you are supporting local Indiana businesses. Download our app powered by B&W Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Drains and get your business certified local at indianaoriginals.com. Indiana Originals, leading local living. Local Matters brings you incredible stories about Indiana original businesses making a positive impact in Indiana and the entrepreneurs leading the way. I'm Mel McMahon, and today we get the story of how Michael Wright started Tax Right and why he truly believes taxes stink and you need to clear the air. We'll talk about the challenges and the successes along the way and why supporting local businesses really matters. You're listening to Local Matters, brought to you by Indiana Originals, leading local living. Michael Wright from TaxRight, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. It is great to see you. It's been too long. It has. Have you stayed busy through all of this? Yes. Uh, you know, tax preparers were considered essential businesses throughout the lockdown and everything else. So uh, I've been busy most of the time trying to let people know, hey, you can't wait forever. You still need to get your taxes done. What was it like for you to have that deadline change? Did that affect you in the way that you do taxes? Not really. Um, because most people are procrastinators when it comes to doing taxes. Uh, the lockdown started, what, mid-March? Mm-hmm. Well, most of my early filers had already done it, so they were taken care of. Early filers are people that want their refund right now, so they come very early. Uh, the other people, they're procrastinators anyway, so I knew when the deadline was extended, they would extend their mental deadline as well, and that's exactly what happened. Did you always know that you wanted to be a tax man? No. What did you want to be when you grew up? When I started out, uh, well, I'll tell you, my uh, degree from Butler is in philosophy and religion. Hang on. Philosophy and religion? Yes, ma'am. Okay. (laughs) I also have a degree from the Christian Theological Seminary. And although my intention was never to be a uh, minister, but was always to be an academic in that field. Um, And this, this will tie in later as we go through my life story. But at any rate, um, I was headed for uh, a graduate degree at uh, Vanderbilt University. And uh, my wife, my lovely wife, Jackie, uh, was pregnant with our first child. And despite the generosity of the university and everything else was going on, we just couldn't see our way clear to have a child and a home and me as nothing more than a graduate student at a university. So uh, I stopped that. And believe it or not, I became a jewelry salesman. And uh, for about five years, I uh, operated as a jewelry salesman. Kind of enjoyed it, but uh, I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. My father-in-law was an insurance adjuster. And so we would see insurance adjusters come into the store all the time. And I asked them, I said, hey guys, uh, what would you think about, uh, do you have anybody that has a job? 
And they, uh, my next door neighbor was also in the insurance business. And one night he called me and he said, hey, Mike, how would you like to be an insurance auditor? And I said, well, I don't even know what that is. And he said, well, I don't know either, but I can tell you who to go talk to about it. <laughs> so I went down and met a fella, and he and I just clicked immediately. And uh, he convinced me that I could be an insurance auditor, and it looked like a fun job to me because I got to travel all the time, just going from place to place, doing audits. So I took my philosophy and religion degree, religion degree and became an auditor. Okay, so what, so what does an insurance auditor do exactly? An insurance auditor goes to businesses and audits their books, mostly their payroll, but sometimes their uh, sales as well, because those, uh, that data is used to set uh, premiums. You make an estimate at the beginning of the year in commercial insurance, uh, make an estimate at the beginning of the year, and then the auditor comes and finds uh, what you actually had, and you either get a refund or you pay more money. Okay. Uh, and I probably should comment, most of the time you owe more. You don't often get money back. But that's what an auditor does. And I did that for uh, about 30 years. Uh, in fact, at the end of my career in that, I was actually uh, the audit manager for that company. Uh, I had a, a team of 30 auditors countrywide that uh, were doing that kind of work. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is that when laptop computers first came out, uh, I was allowed to develop the system that our auditors used to do the auditors uh, on site. Wow. Up until that time, an auditor carried an adding machine with him or her. Okay, I'm going to have to interrupt you, Mike. What is an adding machine? <laughs> okay, an adding machine. Well, we used to call them 10 keys. It's a machine that adds. You might think of a calculator, uh -huh. but big. Okay. Uh, compare a computer keyboard to a typewriter. Uh huh. So a calculator to an adding machine gives you the idea. Gotcha. And all they did was add, multiply. Sometimes they divided, but not always. Batteries included? No, not batteries. You had to no plug batteries. In. Oh, we had to plug it in. Yes, ma'am. We came equipped. Fancy. Indeed. <laughs> so anyway, that's what an auditor did. So how do you go from being an auditor to an accountant? Well, it's because since all of these people I was auditing were businesses, and the company that I worked for specialized in small businesses, mom-and-pop stores, uh, single-person contractors, uh, rural auto dealers, uh, I got to see more than just the payroll because I'd be sitting in the office with the bookkeeper or whoever, and I'd hear and see and notice what was going on. And oftentimes when I would get the information from people, uh, the process that was used to get that information kind of revealed how poorly they kept their books or how dif what difficulties they had in doing so. So uh, as did I, did I mention that I traveled all the time? You did mention you had to travel, yes. Okay, so at the end of my career, this would be uh, in the, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, I was just getting tired of having to be my first thought in the morning what's the weather like in Fort Wayne today? Mm -hmm. And so I started looking for something else to do. And I found out that you could prepare taxes for people for money with no prior qualifications whatsoever except their willingness to let you do it. Really? Yes, and that's still the case, by the way. Whoa, hang on. You just you just said that people can prepare. Well, I guess if you file yourself, I mean, there's computer. Yeah, I guess you can. I just didn't ever think most, about people charging money for that and not having any experience or education most, with it. Most people don't. And, and, and not to say that I'm not 
that I didn't have some experience because I'd been looking at people's books mm -hmm. for 20 years at that point. So I stuck a sign in my front yard and it said, taxes, your place or mine. And gave my phone number and people would call and I'd call, uh, get back with them and then I'd arrange to do their taxes. What I found was when this started, uh, I did my first tax return for money in 1992. Um, and what I discovered building on that, most of the people that saw my sign in the yard were folks that had parents that were retired and elderly and they didn't want to mess with their parents' taxes and their parents thought, hey, somebody comes to the house, we don't have to go out and do it. Mm -hmm. So most of my clients at the very beginning were retired people and elderly people. And uh, these were just kind of straightforward, normal, sure. personal tax returns. Exactly. Okay. And I use software. I still use software. Every tax preparer uses software. Mm -hmm. The key is that a, an experienced preparer knows what the software is doing. Mm. Would you like to have a story about that? Because I can tell you a good one. Yeah, sure. Okay. I was doing taxes for somebody uh, in their, uh, at their home and uh, came upon something. It had to do with uh, health savings accounts. And there's a limit on the amount that you can put in a health savings account. And it's if you're married filing joint, it's 50-50 is the standard way to do it. So I was doing the guy's taxes. And his wife put in like 75%. Uh, he only put in 25%. But the program kept making it 50-50. So it said one of them wasn't eligible and they owed taxes because they put too much money in there. Well, I knew that was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't figure out, sitting there, how to make it right. I didn't know how the program would fix that. So I told him what was going on. But here's the thing that's interesting about the story. I did fix it, by the way. And every year I have to fix it the same way. But here's what's interesting about the story. If you were to sit down and let TurboTax do your taxes, not knowing how to fix it, you would say, oh, darn, I owe more money in taxes because we didn't pay our health savings accounts correctly. And you'd either pay the tax mm -hmm. or you'd change the way you do your health savings account or whatever. And that's the kind of thing that a tax preparer can help you with because they know what it should be and they can do whatever it takes to make it right. Uh, that's, a, that's a simple story. There's, there's more difficult things that you need to do sometimes to make it right. But. Well, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, we rely on software every single day and we assume that not only is it right, but it also has our best interests in mind. And that's often not the case. Software is written by software writers. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to poke fun at them, but they're interested in software. They mm -hmm. are not interested in taxes. If they have any interest in taxes at all, it's because their boss has told them we need to have this particular provision taken care of. And, but they don't understand the scope of, of what they're doing. That happens most often with state taxes uh, because even the big software companies kind of uh, run roughshod over state taxes because there's, well, there's 50 states, mm -hmm. so uh, much more complicated. And I have an experience related to that that, that is partly my fault, although we we'll get it fixed. Um, we had somebody that had a military pension, and in Indiana, if your military pension is of a certain sort, uh, most of it is, is forgiven. It's deductible. And so I searched and searched and searched in my software, and I couldn't find a way to put it in. So I looked at the software uh, help desk, and they said, well, just put it in this line and give it this code, and, let it, and it'll go through. So I did it, and sure enough, I looked on the form, showed the deduction. So I was happy. 
Well, state wasn't happy because, as it turned out, when I went to research it, I found that the program put the thing in the wrong place. Mm. And I had no way to put it in the right place. This time, I had no way to put it in the right place. So I told the software company, and of course, they said, oh, we're sorry, and that was the end of that. And of course, I got it fixed with the state because we filed new paper forms mm -hmm. that made it right. But so, yeah, you do rely on software. Even the guys using software rely on software. And uh, when you check it, you have an opportunity to mess up even in that case. So, Mike, so many people do their taxes on their own, probably don't second guess the software. What, what are some of the risks we take when we tackle taxes by ourselves? Well, primarily the problem comes from the fact that if your mistake means that you should have paid more, the IRS is very quick, or the State Department as well, is very quick to send you a letter demanding their money. If you make a mistake that's in your favor, it never shows up, it never comes back, so that doesn't happen. Um, and sometimes it's very difficult to interpret what even the software's instructions are, although they are quite complete. But again, I say that from the knowledge that I understand where they're going and a person that doesn't understand the tax code might not, mm -hmm. uh, as in the story I told you before. But I will say that every year so far, and I've been doing this now for 25 years, every year so far, well, not the first year, <laughs> Other than that, every year so far, I've had at least one person come to me because they did their taxes on their own, and they got a letter from the IRS, and they don't know what to do about it, and so uh, I have to help them. And uh, that's really the biggest problem because people don't want to get letters from the IRS mm -hmm. because they're almost never good. So, Yeah, I don't get birthday cards from the IRS. No. No. And, and before you think I'm trying to beat up on the IRS, I'm not. I've worked with a lot of agents. They're generally very nice people. They know their stuff. They're not mean, uh, but they do have an obligation to enforce the law, and this is the law. Mm -hmm. But the law, like all of them, is subject to interpretation. And so being able to understand how to interpret what's going on in your favor is one of the most serious services that any tax preparer can, can do. 25 years ago, when you started doing taxes, I mean, did you just quit auditing cold turkey? No. Or how did you make that transition from being a supervisor of 30 different people to becoming a business owner? Well, by that time, I wasn't the supervisor of 30 different people. I had left that company and actually gone to work uh, for the National Association of Insurance Premium Auditors as their executive director and uh, trying to expand that role for audit professionalism. Uh, that didn't actually pay the bills. So I started doing audits as an independent auditor. Uh, there are companies out there that will do that, not as an insurance company, but simply providing the audit service. So I started doing that. So in the last 10 years, from 92 till about 2002, uh, I was doing both. I was doing the independent audits and then I'd do the taxes. And obviously that finally the, the ta uh, audits went away and the taxes became all of it. So. And what motivated you to stay an independent business owner? Oh, I can't imagine doing anything else. You have to understand that the company that I worked for treated auditors as though they were independent contractors, although we weren't. But we had no obligation as long as we turned in the work that we were assigned within a reasonable period of time. 
they didn't care whether they saw you or not. Now, don't get me wrong, they would check on things. In fact, as a, when I was in charge of the department, uh, my chief duty was to audit the auditors that were out in the field. So, yeah, there was checks and balances, but I, was, I set my own schedule. Uh, if somebody uh, at, at, at church said they had a program that the kids needed the chaperone for, if, if I knew about it far enough in advance, I was up for that because I could adjust my schedule and do the work I needed to do. So I was already spoiled, if you will, by not having that uh, employee uh, mentality. But so that became very obvious. And then once I got to doing it on my own, where for better or worse, it was I was the one that was responsible for whatever happened. Uh, that's kind of a... Uh, that's exhilarating. Uh, to be. Even the late nights when you sit up worrying because you can't figure out a way through, uh, it's still exhilarating because when you do make a way through, as obviously I have been able to do so, you feel pretty good about what you're doing and, and what you have done. So that's why. Coming up, the challenges and successes Mike Wright has had along the way and what he wants you to know about starting your own business. This is Local Matters. Thank you so much for listening to Local Matters. It is made possible by our sponsors, Indiana Originals and McFarling Foods. If you're not familiar with Indiana Originals, Mike, you're an Indiana Original. I am. You're certified local. I am. That means his business is independently owned and operated. It's headquartered here in Indiana and not part of an out-of-state chain. We help you support local faster and easier through our website, indianaoriginals.com, and our app powered by B&W Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Drains. Download it now in your App Store or Google Play Store. Click on the map feature. Find great local businesses near you to support. And one of those businesses you can find is our friends at McFarling Foods. They are Central Indiana's trusted food service distributor. They've been around since 1948. And they are the ones that deliver that fresh food to our favorite diners, delis, taverns, pubs. They're the ones who make sure that we have the freshest meals possible. And a big part of what they did for the community earlier this year had to do with the Farmers to Families Food Box Program. You may have seen this on the news. The USDA gave funding to different businesses to be part of the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program relief efforts. So McFarling Foods and their team distributed thousands of food boxes to Hoosiers in need. So we want to thank them for not only sponsoring Local Matters here on the All Indiana Podcast Network, but for all that they do for the community. So we've been chatting with Mike Wright of TaxRight, who started doing his business about 25 years ago. Is that right? Yep. Actually, come to think of it, I, my, as I said, I did my first one in 1992. That's uh, closer to 28 years, isn't it? Well, if you want to age yourself, you may. Uh, well, it beats the alternative, as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> so your tagline is, taxes stink, let's clear the air. And we've talked a lot about how you got into the business, but now I want to talk more about being an actual business owner. And what's been the hardest part about being a business owner? I suspect marketing might be the hardest part. Let me, let me kind of give some background, the reason why I paused so long before I answered the question. When you start out doing any business, and my own is no exception, uh, you put out a sign, you get a couple people, and then you get maybe a couple more, but you kind of are always looking for another customer, another client. And as a, a, a single operator, as I was, as I have been for almost all the time that I've been in business, uh, finding opportunities to meet and talk to new people has always been uh, a difficult one. 
One of the things about taxes is that people will tell their tax guy stuff that they wouldn't tell their priest or their bartender. And that's important that they do because I've had several clients that were caught out by the IRS because they didn't tell me everything that I needed to know to do their taxes. So that works both ways. And so there's a, an issue of trust uh, both directions. And so even if I talk to somebody about, oh, here's how you can save some money, here's how you can do things like that, that kind of thing, um, I have to have a better understanding of them, and they have to have an appreciation that I'll do something that they can trust. And so that, that kind of builds a, a wall about any kind of marketing, um, effective, what, I call, what I would think of as effective marketing. Uh, then, as I have had successes in bringing on new clients, and I've gotten to the situation where I've needed to add employees, uh, that's always a problem as well. Not because I've ever had an employee do something, uh, except for once, that was just plain wrong or not, uh, not legal, uh, but because most people that get into this business, if they're not the business owner, they consider it something that's part-time. And so you start in January and the end of April and they're gone and then you got to try and find them again. Uh, and that also has happened uh, up until uh, just a few years ago uh, with locations. Uh, one of the standing jokes with my returning clients has been, where are you this year? And uh, because I'd have a different place. Mm -hmm. Once I left my house and started working at commercial places, I would just, sort of like one of those fireworks stores, yeah. I'd sort of pop up when it was tax season. <clears throat> but when you have those occasional things that need to be taken care of during the year, uh, it, it gives a more professional look to have a place that you're at year after year after year. Mm -hmm. Now, I have moved twice in the last uh, seven years, but uh, each time has been an upgrade, I think, so that's been a good thing. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, to get back to your actual question, which was the hardest thing about it, it, it has been those gaps that are created by the fact that it's a seasonal business. And what I have been working on for the last couple of years is to minimize that by changing my offerings and changing the way that I interact with clients, which means that I end up with fewer clients, but basically they become more valuable to me and I become more valuable to them because we're working throughout the year instead of just when the W-2s come in the mail. Let me ask you another question um, regarding challenges. Because I know you love taxes. I do. And you can quote tax code. Like you know what someone's going through. You can listen to just a few sentences and already figure out you know, what they've done wrong or what they need to do better or what they did right. When you're hiring employees or hiring people to help you, is there a frustration if they don't love taxes as much as you do or any kind of like just challenge, you know, where you want them to enjoy it as much as you do or be inspired like you are? I had a lady that worked for me several years ago that loved taxes as much as I do, but she also loved uh, tinkering with cars and a variety of other things. She was a retired lady. She didn't need the income. So it was wonderful when she came to work for me because she knew her business. 
she left me because another tax preparer offered her even more tax returns to do. She told me later she, he wasn't paying her more, but he had more work for her to do, so she went with him. Oh my goodness, so, I, mean, I can't imagine. <laughs> that's, that's another person that really loves taxes. Other than that person, no. Most people that I've got, even gotten involved with taxes have simply done it because they could and because it's a way to make a little money. Um, I, my, my biggest group of employees, I had four people. I had one employee and four people that worked for me, and they were paid on a commission basis. Uh, not commission, but for every return they did, they got a certain amount of money. I guess that is a commission, isn't it? I mean, kind of. Anyway. I know what you're trying to say, okay. and I'm sure uh, you I, listening knows what he's trying to say right now. So I didn't funny. want to give the impression that they made their money by saving more money on taxes or anything like that for the client, because that's illegal. So that's Thank you for clarifying yes, that. Yes, you can't do that. <laughs> we'll make sure to leave that in. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, and that, that was an interesting year. Now, this lady I mentioned, she was one of those. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I feel like I'm kissing this microphone. So we kind of need you to. Okay. Here's, here's another thing of Lysol right there. You're good. <laughs> um, she was there. And the other folks that were there, they were decent. And uh, we were all working from software. So... People that had a problem, if they could go to the software's help, or they could come to me for help, and that worked out pretty well. The problem with that, however, was the same thing the very next year. They couldn't get the same group together. Nothing came together like it was. And so I'll be honest, I'm as uh, likely as anybody else to think, this is too much trouble. I'll just do everything myself. And so I do. Uh, I've just started this... Uh, my business has grown and I'm doing some uh, business um, accounting apart from taxes, business growth stuff and so forth. And uh, I've just brought, uh, gotten an association with Bookkeeper that makes my life so much easier because uh, that's something I'd rather not do. I can mm -hmm. and I'm good at it, but I don't like it. So finding somebody that also can and is good at it and likes it was even better. So those are the kinds of challenges, but I think those challenges are not uncommon in any business owner uh, because what I find in working with entrepreneurs uh, is that they all have a sense of excitement about what they're doing. And they would rather be deeply involved in doing that than anything else. And they have the same problem when they bring on an employee and that employee doesn't have the same enthusiasm, the same, what they see as the same commitment. Um, and so that, that leads to some friction sometimes. Um, but it also means that so many, especially professional entrepreneurs, like accountants and lawyers and people like that, uh, tend to get off by themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so... That's both a challenge, but it's also a positive thing because what I have found is that if you have a smaller number of clients, but you have, they consider you high value and you can provide them with high value back, then that's a more pleasant relationship and can also lead to higher income because, because people will pay for what they're happy with. Mm -hmm. And so that's also part of what I try to do. What's been the most rewarding part about being an independent business owner? 
Well, I mentioned earlier the fact that I had the uh, freedom to do, set my own schedule, do whatever I want. For better or for worse, I'm the one that's doing it. That's probably the biggest, the biggest satisfaction. The second biggest satisfaction is that I'm helping people in a field that most people don't want to even touch. They, don't, they want to keep it at hands, hands off. And when somebody can help them, uh, they, they love it because it makes their life easier. People are, I'll be honest with you, people are afraid of the IRS. And um, so if I can provide that, then that provides me with a satisfaction as well. And Mike, you talk to people all day long, some already in business, some thinking about going into business. You, what would you tell others that want to start their own business? What do you want them to know? Well, as I just mentioned, people that are entrepreneurial in spirit are excited about what they're doing. And that excitement means they tend to shortcut what needs to be done in the back office, so to speak. And while they get what they're doing uh, and they're doing what they want, sometimes they get caught up short because they get a letter from the IRS, not that there's anything wrong, but hey, let's do an audit. Or they get a letter from somebody that says, you didn't file for this particular license or you didn't do this particular thing. And it's not that they're trying to circumvent the law. It's that they didn't know they were supposed to do that because that isn't what's in their wheelhouse. Their wheelhouse is whatever they're doing entrepreneurially. So when I get an opportunity to talk with a, a, a real newbie, I try to bring them down with the idea that I'm really excited for you but here's some things you really need to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sometimes causes some uh, consternation with people because they really don't want to have to do it. And a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, well, you know, I started a business last year and I did this and this and this and this and they're really excited. And I say, but because you didn't do that and that and that, now you're going to get smacked around a little bit and mm -hmm. I can't do anything about it at this point because it's too late. So the sooner that a person gets involved in dealing with that kind of back office stuff, uh, the happier they'll be in the long run. What happens with most people is they don't want to have to pay for it. And I, it's not that they're cheap, but they'd rather put their money in something that directly develops their business, not in paying a lawyer for a filing or paying an accountant for financial statements or anything else. I was talking with a, a SCORE mentor. Uh, SCORE is a government-supported mentoring program for small businesses. And I was talking with the SCORE mentor that was telling me that he was working with a client. He said he'd been with this client for four years, and he thought he understood their business quite well. And one day the guy said, by the way, do you think we should have gotten some business insurance? <gasps> exactly. <laughs> That was his response. My eyes are saucers right now, if you could see me. If you are in business, you must have business insurance. Wow. So even the most fundamental things often slip the entrepreneur's view because that's not what they're interested in. Well, I think, you know, there's a big difference between a hobby and a business. And sometimes people don't necessarily draw that line. And that's why... You know, having a community like Indiana Originals where we support each other, you know, to me, that's what, another reason that we're so important. And Mike, for you, you know, what does supporting local mean to you or why is being known as an Indiana Original matter to you? Well, I think it goes back to that trust idea once again. Uh, 
you know, you can get you can't you really can get your taxes done on TurboTax, but there's no connection. Well, you may notice that, and I'm, I'm not trying to pitch TurboTax, but you may notice the last few years they've started advertising. You can talk to a CPA when you do with TurboTax. In fact, they've been approaching me to see if I'd be interested in being one of their uh, online uh, tax preparers. Well, that's great, except that if you talk to John today, then next year when your taxes come up and you have a problem, you won't talk to John again. You'll talk to somebody else. Mm -hmm. If the person is here in front of you, where you can, I started to say shake hands, but I guess now we're still bumping yeah, elbows. Yeah, bumping elbows. Yeah, uh, where you can actually have that, that essentially hands-on connection with that person. Uh, even if it's online, I mean, even if we're doing a Zoom meeting instead of an actual face-to-face -face meeting, we still know where each other is, are, whatever the right thing is there. And more importantly, we can create a history. We can create a, a level of knowledge. And I don't know of any way that uh, that doesn't work if you don't stay local. I'll, I'll tell you two stories about that. I have clients that have been with me for so long that I remember when their kid was born and I did the kid's first adult tax return. That's, that's the kind of mm -hmm. loyalty that, that I hate to say that I inspire, but apparently I do because they stick with me every year. You know. Yeah, well, they're clearly happy customers. Exactly. And let me tell you the other side of that. Uh, I have had clients that have been my, uh, with me for years and they move, uh, mostly retirees that go to Florida or Arizona or wherever. And so for, they go ahead and do their taxes with me by mail, by electronics and so forth. But in every case, after a couple of years, they find somebody else that's local. And I don't, I don't object to that. I don't try to chase them down because I know that kind of relationship is not the best relationship, although I'm glad to service them while I can. But I think that's two sides of the same coin because I made a joke earlier about you tell your tax guy very intimate stuff. Well, there's no reason that she, that intimate stuff, uh, when it's important, shouldn't stay with the same person because not only does it keep <laughs> the word from getting out to too many people, but it also means that if I'm looking at something and I remember that, hey, 10 years ago this happened, then I can say, well, you know, how's that gonna affect that? And let's, let's take a look at that and make sure that's not gonna be a problem. And that's not only true with taxes, but it's true with, with business, running a business as well, because stuff does have a habit of coming back to get you. Uh, of course, my job is to make sure there isn't anything that gets you. But. <laughs> well, that's why people like you are important, whether you are a business owner or not, everyone needs trusted advisors in their lives. And Mike, besides IndianOriginals.com, where can we find more about you and how can we support your business? If you would care to have the best access to material from me that can lead to some taxes or just might be tax-related information, I recommend that you join up my app, uh, which is available either on uh, Android or iPhone. And you can get that very simply by texting the word LEARN, L-E-A-R-N, to this number, 317 593 9066. I'm going to repeat that because 317-593-9066. And you'll see everything there is to know, and uh, it also gives you other ways to contact me, but that's probably the quickest and best way to do it. And what's your website? Taxright.net. And how do you spell right? 
W-R-I-G-H-T. You look like I just caught you off guard. <laughs> what? <laughs> Seriously, nobody ever asks me that. They don't ask you for your website? They ask me for the website, but not how to spell right. Oh. Well, what if they spell it wrong? Then they don't find me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Wright with Tax Right, thank you so much for being our guest today on Local Matters, and thank you for doing your part to create healthier, stronger communities and more jobs in Indiana. Well, I've enjoyed it, both the interview and being able to help. And thank you for listening to Local Matters, made possible by Indiana Originals and McFarling Foods. It's an honor to bring you incredible stories about Indiana Original businesses making a positive impact in Indiana and those entrepreneurs leading the way. Learn more about why local matters at indianaoriginals.com and on our app powered by B&W Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Drains. I'm Mel McMahon, and until next time, keep supporting local. Thanks for listening to Local Matters, brought to you by Indiana Originals, distributed by the All Indiana Podcast Network. Download the Indiana Originals app, powered by B&W Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Drains, and check out indianaoriginals.com.